TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work, and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio. Each week we bring you topics and information to help you improve the quality of your life and make amazing choices. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. Now, we're going to talk about something that covers a concern most ladies have. Have you been in the search of a silver bullet for weight loss or are you having concerns about belly fat, you know, um, visceral fat that you just can't shift some fat? Well, this week we're actually going to dive a little bit beyond something most people know, which is insulin resistance and discuss a lesser known concern in terms of metabolic dysfunction and it's called leptin resistance. So there's two things there and we're going to cover leptin resistance today and move through because uh, I'm sure some of you have heard about insulin before and leptin is a also an area which a lot of women are starting to discover is a reason they're not moving weight. Tell yeah. us about that, Andrea. And I think that most women at some point throughout their life have had some sort of weight issues or they haven't been completely happy with how their body's been changing. They might have tried a whole bunch of different diets only to, after they come off the diet, to be back exactly where they started or, you know, in 12 months time, they've gained even more weight. And a lot of this is because the key biological driver or biological abnormality in those cases is this leptin resistance and leptin is the hormone that tells us we're full uh, so it and it's also very much involved with energy expenditure so it tells our brain that we stop eating and now we need to get and move our body yeah it's the master hormone of body fat regulation yeah and it's actually stored in our body fat uh, and so what happens is we'll eat a meal um, we'll have plenty then you know leptin will be released from our fat cells it'll go up to our brain to a part of our brain uh, called the hypothalamus and it will say okay we've had enough now let's go do some exercise and so it's part of that um, um, you know, energy boost that we get as well that we should be getting from our food. Um, it's involved in so many other biological mechanisms or pathways as well. It's going to be involved in women's ovulation cycle. It regulates part of the immune system. Um, very much involved with glucose metabolism. So that's that sugar metabolism, which, you know, doesn't really surprise us. Uh, it's involved in the circadian rhythm and a whole host of other things. But what I want you to take away from this, it is the key driver that's going to unlock weight loss. If you don't have leptin on board, you've got no hope. And it's as simple as that. Uh, they've done studies in rats where they have, um, it's a horrendous study that they've done where they have bred them um, with the genetic um, you know, abnormality where they actually don't produce or have any leptin. And these rats will literally sit at the food trough all day long eating and they become obese immediately. And the only time they'll move is if you actually move the food trough because they cannot eat to satiate themselves um, and they will not move. And that's what happens when people have leptin resistance as well. You will feel like you need to eat all day long. You can't get off the couch. Um, no matter what you eat, it won't fill you up. Uh, and I'm sure everybody's had that experience where they've come home from work and they'll want to eat from the moment they get home until the moment they go to bed. And that is to do with leptin. 
Interesting, because I also saw a little bit about sort of those um, mice studies and whilst we don't always agree with testing on animals because we know that there's, uh, you know, a lot of pain and heartache with that, I think testing humans would be significantly more difficult to discover these concerns. The study they also did was where they took two rats, one that was... um, functionally normal the other one that did have leptin resistance and merged their circulatory systems mm. so blood was transported through one to the other and the obese rat that had the leptin resistance actually returned to normal function and started to lose weight thanks to the biomarkers from the healthy mouse so i That's guess incredible. what we're trying to say is that even though we're not we're not rats and none of us are <laughs> uh you know in the same realm as as mice but it's a great foundation because when it comes to leptin resistance, there's a little bit of um, a grey zone where some people think, well, that's your predetermined outcome and you can't change it. So there's a little bit of, uh, I guess, discussion that would make you lose hope, thinking, well, if that's me, I can't change this. But we certainly know that there's some strategies you can take that can help you change this. And we're going to go through this today because for us, it's really exciting. And I'm going to tell you that um, I'm not proud of it, but I did used to have a prejudice towards heavier people Mm -hmm. or people who are overweight or even obese. And that prejudice lay from uh, back in high school days when I would associate an overweight person sitting there eating food with their fault, their fat. Mm -hmm. And yet what I've learned later on through my life is unfortunately because of things like leptin resistance and insulin resistance, some of that willpower is not as simple to achieve. You can't just simply think yourself thin as a lot of, um, I guess, health gurus would like to tell you. If it was that simple, there would be no such thing as yo-yo dieting. It wouldn't be a problem that so many women experience going up and down with their weight, losing weight, getting to an ideal body weight, and within the year or within a couple of years, return to exactly the same weight they were when they started the diet. And so, you know, overcoming that prejudice as well in yourselves, if you're listening and you still find yourself looking at someone who's heavy, just be really mindful because some of these concerns may actually be out of their hands because of this impact it has on the brain and the way it forces the body to seek fuel irrespective of willpower and that shocked me to be really fair i was really disappointed myself um, that i had thought that way but it really came from an uneducated place and i think that you've raised a really good point there where it's not the yo-yo dining it's not the lack of um, calories that's you know keeping the weight on for these people or too many calories it's that they have this condition, which is that leptin resistance, which means that they cannot lose weight to save themselves. And this is another reminder that this is not an equation of calories in, calories out. So, you know, calories in, calories burnt. Uh, we need to actually pay attention to what's actually happening and what the driver is of that fat gain. Um, when we talk about leptin resistance, let's just talk about what that actually means. Because the cruel joke for a lot of people who are overweight is that it's not a problem with not enough leptin because fat actually produces, you know, the, the adipose tissue of the fat that we have in our body is actually what produces leptin. It's that your brain can't see it. So the heavier we are, the more leptin we produce, but your brain cannot pick up that hormone and can't you know, figure out that switch or that trigger because, and certainly the lifestyle factors are very important in this. So there are some biological markers that are happening, 
but it's not irreversible. And what gets there in the first place is certainly lifestyle factors as well. Uh, we'll go through these in a, in a moment that really drives that leptin resistance, but it means that your brain can't see the leptin. So it's running around free in your bloodstream. Nobody's using it. And so then your brain's going to go, oh, I must still be really, really hungry. There's no leptin coming up here. Let's eat some more. And you're literally starving or your brain is literally starving, which is going to keep that drive of hunger and keep you eating. And that truly is fascinating because for you to be getting plenty of fuel on board, but your brain to be registering, and specifically the hypothalamus in the brain, to be registering starvation mode, it puts you into survival mechanisms, which store adipose tissue, hold on to what you've got. Um, I mean, the real kickback here is when the brain perceives less leptin, it leads to increased hunger and increased appetite. Mm -hmm. And also reduce motivation to exercise because what's exercise going to do? It's going to burn fuel and the body hasn't been receiving enough, so it thinks. And so because of that, you know, your lack of motivation to exercise decreases because actually your brain-body connect is trying to tell you, please don't use more fuel because I haven't got enough on board just yet. Even though the reality is you do. And we've most of us got plenty of adipose tissue. We're not short of um, having some fat stored. However, our brain doesn't recognize that store fat, so we then continue to overeat. And that is um, that is what leptin resistance is all about. So if this is the first time you've heard about this, um, it's pretty curious. And you sort of go, wow, so my brain is actively defending itself, holding fat stores and making me hungry. That sucks. <laughs> this is a relatively new understanding. It was yeah. only in 1994 that we actually figured out what leptin actually does and its role and involvement in weight loss. So people have been on diets their whole life and it's only within the last you know, 20, 25 years, yeah, um, 20 ish years yeah. that we've actually understood how these pathways and mechanisms actually work in our body and that leptin is actually responsible for that long-term regulation of energy. So, you know, if we've got leptin resistance, everything is slowing down. Mm. So you can go to the gym for an hour a day. It's not going to make a damn lick of difference. And this is what the majority of dieters will be really familiar with that sensation is that um, weight loss in the beginning is quite easy to achieve because your willpower is high, you're ready, set, go, you've got motivation, you've got inspiration, go, go, go. But very soon the hunger and the cravings increase and then your desire for exercise starts to set in and you wonder why you've fallen off the wagon or you're a failure again or oh, you know, my trainer's not keeping me motivated or, you know, and that blame game well, starts to come out. You cannot think about anything else but food. Yes. And <laughs> that's a really clear marker that there's something that's gone awry with your leptin because your brain is giving those signals. You've got to eat, you've got to eat, you've got to eat. And these are things that are going to give us that quick energy because we're starving up here. Yeah. And look, I think there's probably going to be some of you sitting there right now thinking, well, hang on, what causes leptin resistance i mean it's one thing to have it and you might be thinking maybe i have it but then the question is well what actually causes it now there because the research is still quite young and there's definitely some evolving science on this so slightly controversial in some parts and other parts are given pathways um, which of course one of those in particular we're very familiar with there's a couple of different mechanisms that have been proposed uh, the three most conclusive at this stage are one inflammation two free fatty acids and three having high leptin from the beginning so we're going to discuss just a little bit about each one of those and why that might occur because the whys as to how that resistance starts 
is where you actually have opportunities to intervene and change some of the factors that may lead to the leptin resistance. So let's talk to those people who are on the pathway because of some of the things that they might be doing right now causing this potential or increasing leptin resistance. So inflammation, I mean, everybody knows inflammation is connected to all major lifestyle diseases, including cardiac disease, heart disease, lung cancer, you name it, nearly every known human disease degenerative over time is to do with inflammation. So some of the key inflammatory concerns here is that the inflammatory signaling chemistry signals the brain and the hypothalamus and it can cause leptin resistance in both humans and animal studies. So how do we get inflammation to the brain? What's, well, a, what's a mechanism of pathway? I mean, there's a big one we know very clearly about. We often talk about this. Well, I'm going to go through the most obvious one, and that is the things that we're putting in our mouth. Yes. Um, because it, often with inflammation, it starts from outside in. Because if you're taking something in that the body, one, doesn't recognize as food, or there may be a bit of a sensitivity to, part of that inflammatory pathway is part of our immune mechanism. So if you've got something in the body that doesn't necessarily agree with you, you're going to mount an immune response to that. You're going to get mass inflammation in the gut. And this might manifest as things like leaky gut syndrome or irritable bowel syndrome, you know, going from constipation to diarrhea to bloating, all of those sorts of things are a really good indication that you've got inflammatory markers in your gut. And a lot of the time, this might be subclinical. So this may not be inflammation that is picked up on a standard routine blood test, but certainly things aren't working very well. Yeah, if you're getting bloating, gas, you know, um, rumbling, belly, feeling unwell after meals, there's a really clear indication that you have dysbiosis or uh, an imbalance in your gut microbiome. And any of those imbalances lead to that leaky gut, which as we've discussed in other episodes, talking about how leaky gut is an increased permeability of the gut lining. So what happens there, it allows large um, irritable molecules to pass through the gut membrane into the bloodstream, which in some cases, depending on the molecules, can actually pass through the blood-brain barrier, causing inflammation responses within the brain tissue as well. And knowing the brain and the gut are connected and the um, well, obviously through the nervous system, but the enteric immune system as well. So huge, uh, huge mechanisms here. And if you can't get your gut health right, it is very hard to be truly well, isn't it, Andrea? Oh, absolutely. And we covered this in the gut episode that we did, um, you know, quite a few episodes ago. We really talked about that gut-brain axis and how important it is. Um, so if you want more information, more detail about that to really go down the rabbit hole, go back to that episode and have a look, have a, have a listen, I should yeah, say, <laughs> before you come back to this one. And other signs of inflammation, you might think that, oh, no, my gut's fine, um, or I'm so used to the way my bowel habits are, that must be normal for me. Um it might manifest in other ways. You might have some what we call peripheral edema or some swelling of joints or you know different parts of your body. You might wake up in the morning and just feel puffy. You might have that puffiness associated with your face or your eyes. Um, you know you might notice that your ring is a little bit, uh, your ring or your jewelry is a little bit tighter in the mornings when you wake up. Those are all sure signs of inflammation, as are any other immune mediated responses. So things like hay fever, allergies, um, you know eczema, skin allergies, those sorts of things are certainly inflammatory uh, signals of the body. 
Yeah, and, and for women, common ones as well, things like uh, really acute period pains. Oh, yeah, you know, definitely. So How heavy, can you get that yeah, one? Yeah, <laughs> and just like and you think sometimes you just think that's normal and you want to pop a Panadol or something to, to reduce that response. But when you start to realize it's an indication of your entire health profile, um, this is how we get smart ladies. This is how we start to listen and understand our bodies and stop dismissing things as normal just because it's common. And so this falls into this whole concept of leptin resistance because anything that drives up inflammation in the body is also part of this leptin resistance cascade because it falls on the same biochemical pathways as insulin resistance as well. But I think an even more important thing is that everything is connected. Our mm. body does not work in isolation. And I think that's one thing that medicine is starting to only now start to get a handle on. You know, we've got doctors for our gastrointestinal system. We've got brain doctors. We've got bone doctors but we need to look at the person as a whole because nothing acts in isolation so that's why what's keeping your weight on is affecting your brain that could be coming from you know issues with your gut that's also affecting your hormones do you kind of get where i'm going with this that feedback loop is um you know integrating throughout our whole system which brings us to the next um, you know, marker or predisposition to the leptin resistance that you mentioned, Ash, and that was the free fatty acids. And so that is very much poor digestive function. So inflammation, possible leaky gut, all of that sort of thing. So, you know, things are not being digested adequately, which means that we've got, you know, very poor bowel function, which in turn is going to lead to inflammation as well. So this may increase, you know, the fat metabolites in our bloodstream, which will also affect our brain as well and interfere with that leptin signaling too. Incredible. And then of course, the third one we mentioned is actually having high elevated level excuse me, elevated levels of leptin in the first place. Um, now, how that could be, there's still some inconclusive components of that. Well, there was a study that came out, um, some researchers from the University of California have are starting to put together what they think is, um, you know, the, the cause of that, and that's insulin. And insulin blocks the leptin receptors at the brain, um, and it consistently raises uh, people's baseline levels of insulin, which, you know, pretty much anyone on a Western diet, their baseline level of insulin, and remember, insulin is that hormone that helps to take glucose or energy into the cell. So say we have to go and run a marathon, our body's gearing up to expend all this energy, we've just eaten you know, a carbohydrate-rich meal, it's going, okay, I've got all these glucose molecules in my bloodstream, I'm going to have the little insulin receptors on the cells, they're going to package that little energy into the cell, we're going to use it as energy and get rid of it, rather than storing it as fat. And when our baseline levels of insulin are too high, which means we're having consistently too much, you know, of these things, or um, we also have that insulin resistance. So we have all this energy running around in our bloodstream that the insulin receptors on the cells also can't see because they're burnt out and they're tired. They've been doing too much work and they cannot physically take any more sugar, any more glucose into the cell. So again, all of our um, you know, baseline levels of insulin are going to be raised. And this is certainly the hormone that's involved in a lot of those uh, chronic diseases such as type 2 diabetes. So what the, uh, the researchers from the University of California found was that insulin blocks leptin at the brain. 
So we've got to get a handle on the sugar. It's as simple as that. And everybody is addicted to sugar in one way or another. Um, that's why, you know, that, that sugar film, uh, the I Quit Sugar book and the I Quit Sugar diet has been so successful and is such a buzz at the moment because everyone's starting to figure out that, yes, sugar makes us fat. And this is one of the reasons why. Yeah. And the simplest way to know is to look in the mirror, to have a look at where your body fat is distributed. If it's sitting on your belly, then you've got some form of insulin or leptin resistance. And like I've talked about before, Dr. Mark Hyman uh, from the US is a brilliant author, you know, best New York selling, best uh, selling author um, and holistic GP says that if you stand in front of the mirror without your clothes on, you jump up and down and your belly jiggles, then you've got a problem with insulin. Uh, so that's a really nice, easy test that you can do at home. And we also know that uh, an important part of healthy hormonal balance and function is getting adequate rest and sleep. So Andrew, you also you know, have done some reading in regards to how sleep impacts our ghrelin balance and function regulation. What did you find out with that? Well, I certainly looked at the research, but I have my own anecdotal sort of uh, experience with this as well um if i ever go through a period where you know for example if i'm traveling or you know if it's a bit of a stressful time and my sleep is impaired uh, i remember a little while ago i went through quite a bout of insomnia for a few weeks and i found during that time i could not eat enough to satisfy satisfy myself and i was just going crazy thinking what is going on i've just had a beautiful meal that has been full of macronutrients full of whole foods that should have you know satiated me but I could not stop opening the fridge and I would just stand there and just look for things to eat. And I felt like I was just shoveling it into my face all day long. And now I've realized that because during sleep, your leptin levels increase because it tells the brain you've had plenty of calories um, for the day. You've got plenty in reserve. So there's no need to trigger any hunger, right? Uh, however, when you don't get enough sleep, you end up with less leptin, which makes your brain think you don't have, a, you haven't had enough calories during the day. So the leptin messages, um, should be all clear stop eating but it doesn't get through to the brain or again if there's that leptin resistance it does that same thing so now the signals are all telling you that you're still starving which makes a lot of sense for people who need to get up and have that midnight snack because their leptin levels aren't adequate enough or on the flip side they're resistant or people who have that nocturnal night eating syndrome where they'll actually wake up from sleep eating um, and all of that is involved with you know this hormone metabolism so lack of sleep together with lowered amounts of leptin will even wake you up in the middle of the night it'll make you feel more hungry you'll be craving carbohydrates um, and you've got to eat before you can go back to sleep yeah, and look, I think it's so important to get this idea that there is no single hormone that controls body composition or your appetite or hunger. They all work in biofeedback loops. And that means that when one thing goes up, it signals a next thing. Next thing says, oh, wow, I've got that biofeedback. It switches on or switches off production. Mm -hmm. And that's what biofeedback loops are. So anything that interferes with biofeedback loops including you know the inflammation markers including abnormal hormonal function including poor neurological connections anything that inhibits those pathways is going to affect your health profile and you know we're really sort of trying to uh, express our concerns at the constant pursuit of diagnoses for every single little ailment when so many of those 
smaller ailments are connected to the big picture. And the big picture is how your body auto-regulates. Yeah, exactly. So that idea that the, the hormones speak to one another and the analogy that I love to use is that they your hormone your hormonal system works almost like a symphony orchestra. It has to be so finely tuned. Things have to come into a crescendo at certain times and certain times of the month as well, and then they'll fade out and certain things will trigger other things to be, uh, you know, to start playing at that time. For example, when leptin levels fall, it has a direct impact on your thyroid gland. And, you know, we did an episode on your thyroid uh, health and thyroid function. How many women have thyroid problems? It's really significant. And so when your thyroid levels fall, again, it has that inverse relationship with your brain uh so it will do all sorts of things to make it come back up again and it still can't see those thyroid hormones and your thyroid is very much involved with your body's metabolism yeah so then it's dysregulating our metabolic pathways so our metabolism slows down and this is more bad news if you're trying to burn fat so we could say that leptin is almost like that eureka hormone right because It really is a thing that you have to unlock if you want to shift fat. It's as simple as that, but it works in association with everything else in the body. Yeah, and this, I mean, whilst we love and we we implore an evidence-based approach to healthcare and to medicine, this is where we're both significantly challenged by the notion that you can pop a pill into the system and each woman gets the same pill and yet it has no regard for the unique or bio-unique component of of an individual's body and how those hormones respond and react to that introduced substance, whether it be, you know, a bumped up level of estrogen or let's just, for example, we say we have ghrelin pills, we can suddenly start popping. Um, Nothing works in isolation. So just understanding that it's just no way to pop pills to solve these problems. Which I'm totally going to call out Dr. Oz on this because... When I was looking at what some of the leading experts recommend as the tips for, you know, addressing leptin resistance, um, so Dr. Oz, I have, you know, a huge amount of respect for him. He has shared such fantastic information on so many excellent topics. However, his three top tips for combating leptin resistance were oatmeal and peanut butter for breakfast, (laughs) which oatmeal, you know, oats are glutinous grains. Uh, peanut butter is massively inflammatory to a lot of people as are oats. Um, his second tip was an vinegar supplement. And this is an African mango extract that is all the rage right now to help lose weight. It's certainly something that he endorses. So I'm sure there is some sort of financial payoff there as well. And there is no magic pill for this. So I was pretty horrified by that information. The last tip was, you know, sound advice, and that was a 12-hour break from food. So having that slight fasting time during the night. However, if you are really chronically leptin resistant, that fast is going to put more stress on your body because your brain is starving. Interesting. So let's talk about some solutions because there's certainly some things you can do that have an influence and the area that we, I think we feel that you have most ability to influence and alter and change is obviously the diet induced inflammation. Mm -hmm. And that's a big one. So really comes down to the basics in nutrition for us, the way we say it, avoid processed foods. I mean, highly processed foods have so many 
uh, negative effects to them. Not only are they inflammatory, they provide a very poor source of nutrition. Um, they're often sensitive for many people, so they're going to cause uh, sensitivity responses, gut upsets, list goes on. So highly processed foods come in packets. They're often including additives, preservatives, sweeteners, artificial numbers. Just have a look on the packets. Anything that comes in a box with a use-by date that's 12 months, 18 months, two years from now, is what we call a highly processed food. Mm-hmm. Chances are they'll also have some other hidden nasties that a lot of us don't recognize, such as trans fats. And with that combination, you have got an inflammatory bomb in your cupboard that you're going to go and eat. And it might not even have a shelf life that long. For example, uh, white bread oh, is still heavily, heavily processed. Um, I, I even saw a label on one that said, um, and this was part of its advertising, never been touched by a human hand. How is that food? You know, this, <laughs> yeah. this is made yeah, in some made. big, mm. um, you know, machine-made industry lab, um, and then it doesn't resemble anything that looks like bread at all with, you know, added fiber and added all of this sort of oh, stuff. Oh, they bump in all these labels, added calcium and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, you know, the shelf life of that... Blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. The shelf life of that might be a week or so. Um, however, it's still heavily, heavily processed. Yeah. And another good tip is to eat soluble fibers. Mm. So soluble fibers come from your know, fresh fruits and vegetables. So even some people say, oh, but, you know, if you eat too much fruit, it's inflammatory and all the rest. But fruit comes in a soluble fiber form. So the sugars from fruits, whilst if you're eating them in high volume, certainly it's a concern and they can promote yeast and candida overgrowth in the gut and a lot of other factors there. But at the end of the day, there's still some great soluble fibers found in fruits. We certainly uh, encourage consumption of vegetables yeah morning noon and night yeah. like i'm talking a handful of spinach and smoothie in the mornings or you know fresh eggs and some um what do you call it sauteed spinach with some garlic um, i mean at lunchtime salads in the evenings um lightly steamed you know vegetables it, it it really has to be something you focus on and that is to add vegetables to every meal there's got to be veggies in every meal and that's what i encourage my patients to when they're planning their meals because if this is something you've got an issue with you need to make sure that you're planning in advance the worst time to make a decision about dinner is when you're <laughs> driving home. yeah when you're in a shopping center yeah or when you're driving home from work yeah that is the absolute worst time this is when we have zero willpower it just you know it's out the window so just don't do that to yourselves be prepared and something that i love to say is that Plan your meals around your vegetables. So what veggies are we having first with this meal? Then let's think about our good fats and the our good flavors protein. and things that you yeah. want to go with that. And for people who really don't like vegetables, because I know I get this complaint, oh, I don't like eating vegetables, um, you need to figure out how to disguise them. I saw a fantastic recipe the other day, and a lot of people love like the, those little um, potato gems, little tater tot things. Mm-hmm. You can actually make them with broccoli. There's oh. a fantastic recipe that tells you how to make you know, tater totters with broccoli. So... I mean, right there, you've got fibrous greens and it's a better way of getting your veggies if you really can't do it. Um, Great into your bolognese sauce, great in carrot and zucchini. When it's all cooked up, honestly, you really can't taste it. It looks colorful. It's delicious. Um, I mean, kids meals, you've got to hide the veggies, grate in some veggies. This stuff starts at a young age too. We said, where does the where does leptin resistance start? I mean, how can you actually have high leptin resistance? Oh, sorry, high leptin from an early age. Well, it also starts from the choices that our parents have made for us in our foods right from the beginning. So, if you are a mum, 
This is not just information for you in your body and your health. This is information for your children too. So you need to be able to incorporate this into your family life and your family meals and find ways to hide veggies for kids, which I think um, our gorgeous friend, Dr. Brett Hill, has got a great book that's just come out. Uh, yeah, and I wish I could quote the name of it. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm sorry, but I can't remember the name of it, the title, but we'll absolutely post it on our Facebook page yeah. because it's something along the seven solutions for getting your kids to eat veggies without yeah. nagging. Yeah. It's, it's something like that, um, but it is fantastic. Oh, Nourish Without Nagging, I There we go. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I'm so glad you Great for families. That. Yeah. Uh, all right. So our second tip is you need to ditch the sugar. We've said this so many times and I get it. I know it is so hard, um, but if you've got a problem with sugar, if you jump up and down in front of your mirror and your belly jiggles and you've got insulin issues, you've got no hope of getting the leptin under control either. So you've got to start with the sugar and sometimes for most people i find that they have to have very clear unambiguous guidelines when it comes to this meaning that you've got to get off it completely you can't just say oh I'll just cut back zero tolerance policy yeah exactly and without <laughs> yeah. sounding like you know a crazy person no it's i not. mean you can't just have those two pieces of chocolate it's still driving your insulin levels up yeah. and that kind of sugar is not anything that we can find in nature and it's not anything that our body is used to being exposed to so the things that we are used to in terms of you know sweet foods is, is fruits like you mentioned which also come with their own beautiful bundle of phytonutrients which help us to digest them anyway um, you know honey maple syrup honeycomb um, you know those sorts of things are found in nature as natural sources of sugar but use them in moderation um, because because, you know, back in hunter-gatherer days, we'd be very lucky to, you know, every so often find some berries or, you know, if we found some honeycomb, that would be like the jackpot, right? Yeah. Um, but this would be, you know, a rarity for us and such a treat. So since we certainly still don't have a silver bullet to uh, cure our sugar cravings and cure our love of sugar and sweet things, you just have to do the hard yards. It may be that in the beginning, in the first two weeks, you experience withdrawal symptoms. Mm -hmm. Sugar is linked to the same pathways in the brain as cocaine addiction. So when we talk about withdrawal symptoms, it's not a joke. It actually happens. For those of you listening who've gone through this, you may have the first week when you start to withdraw. You might have body pains foul moods, you know, being cranky, grumpy, like you're like an addict wanting your next fix. You've got to hold out and get through that stage. Once you've headaches, pass, as headaches well. yeah. absolutely, possibly sleeping pattern problems because your body just feels all out of kick. And the simple thing there would be for you to go, oh, well, look, if I just had a bit of sugar, it'll, it'll sort that out. No, it won't. Stay true to the cause, you know, get off this, this pathway, which is leading you down the leptin resistance concerns. So please go, go hard, do this, do the tough, do the hard yards. You will beat it. You can beat it. We've seen this every day in our practices when we, we watch the success stories that come of it. This is where real weight loss happens. Yeah. Not the yo-yo stuff. But okay. not just that, the benefits are huge the clarity of thought that you'll have the clear head, skin head oh, fogginess oh that lives, so many the great things hormonal regulation that happens uh one of my tips for if you're coming off sugar replace it with good fats so really up your good flat fats it's going to satiate you so much more it's going to you know make you feel fuller for longer and it's absolutely delicious anyway so yeah. you know have a snack of some avocado with some you know crackers or some drizzling um, of olive oil yeah. you know even just literally if you don't mind it taking a tablespoon of coconut oil yeah, it just perfect. fuels and feeds the brain um Armful, I like a handful of nuts, walnuts, yeah. and almonds. I love almond butter on celery sticks. Yeah, and once you get off sugar, everything tastes sweet. Then, like my almond butter tastes so sweet. 
um, because I don't know what that is anymore. And so, yeah, it's delicious. You rewire the brain to the taste buds. Fascinating. So are you excited? You should be listening right now and going, oh, hey, I can do this. I can do this. We know you can. It's just important to get the right resources. You know, if it means buying a book that helps you start off with some recipes and some direction, go and do that. If it means getting online, doing an online course or joining a group, whatever it takes for you, make sure you get in touch with someone who's going to help you. Go to your naturopath, talk to your holistic health doctors, get people on board who are going to support you on that journey because no, it's not easy, but yes, it's absolutely worth it. Um, Another thing as well is to increase your protein intake. And so that means to basically choose foods that have a higher source of protein. We talk about this. We love our eggs, lean cuts of uh, grass-fed meats. Other sorts of protein may include some legumes, some lentils. So there's lots of vegetarian yeah, alternatives as well. Soluble fibers as well, which is fantastic. Oh, yeah, bonus win win win. Exercise. Yeah. Get moving. Okay, so really important as well with this whole, you know, I guess the the lifestyle you're trying to create surrounding how you're going to improve the quality of the way your body functions inside out is you've got to get moving. You've got to drive those engines and turn over the wheels so that your body can do what it's designed to do. We have all these little energy producers in our body called mitochondria. They respond positively to exercise. The more exercise you do, the more mitochondria you have. The more mitochondria you have, the more energy cell burners you have. Get moving. And it's a double whammy because if you have insulin resistance, meaning the little insulin receptors on your cells are tired and burning out, Research has shown that the best and fastest way to reinvigorate them is through uh, weight-bearing exercise. It stimulates the GLUT4 receptors. It, you know, helps to rebuild all the insulin pathways, um, and it helps to, you know, take all the energy into the little cells to to use. So that can just be body-weighted exercise as well. It doesn't mean that you have to go to the gym and, and lift really heavy weights. Um, just doing body-weighted stuff is a really great place to start. And certainly uh, we don't promote, obviously, long walking as well. Like, for example, walking for an hour has less metabolic impact than, for example, a quick burst 10-minute workout such as a HIIT training program, which is a high-intensity high interval training. And if you haven't heard of HIIT, you need to go and look it up, H-I-I-T. These are short burst workouts that fire up your body, get your metabolism going, and that'll keep that metabolism going for uh, a long period after your workout. So sadly, slow, long uh, duration exercises don't have quite the same effect on our metabolism as intensity, high intensity workouts do. So yeah. get moving, bump it out, get a Zumba class under your belt, do something <laughs> fun for the week, make sure it's interesting. And of course, exercises like yoga are also fantastic for the mental emotional harmony balance. So you can, so they go hand in hand. You can have one program day where you're doing something very low intensity, moderate, but more towards the, the yoga mindfulness. And the next day, bust it out and get your hip program happening. Um, and sleep. Mm-hmm. Join the 10 p.m. club in bed by 9.30 to be asleep by 10. It's going to be one of those ways that you can really simply help to, you know, flick the switch on the leptin. Uh, you know, make sure you're getting at least seven to eight hours sleep a night. Yeah. Ladies, you can do this. You've heard some of this before, I'm sure. If you aren't doing it, please, today's the day. Start to implement some of those changes. Make a commitment to yourself. Get on your phone. Set an alarm for 9.30 to remind yourself if you're caught in the internet world and you're doing your bits and pieces, set yourself an alarm to remind you, 
oh, oh gosh, it's that time already, and start to wind down. Switch your phones over. If you haven't seen that new function on your phone, there's something called Night Shift um, on all your iPhones, your Macs and things. Flick up the base when you sort of flick it up so you can hit airplane mode. There's actually a new function there that's a day-night mode, which is Night Shift, and that's going to make that screen into a warm light screen as opposed to blue light, which again assists our sleep and melatonin production. So... I'm so happy that everything techie is getting on board with this as well it because is this is how up. important uh, your sleep is. So ladies, I know that a lot of this homework sounds like a lot of the advice that we give in many, many episodes and that's because a lot of it doesn't change because these foundations of health actually don't change. The specifics that we've put on today are really going to help you flick that switch on leptin because this is something that you have to have on board if you want to start shifting weight. Um, We would love to hear from you. We'd love to know what your experience with this is. Have you heard of leptin resistance before? Has anyone told you that this is, uh, you know, something that you need to be concerned about? Have you yo-yo dieted before as well? I'm sure we've all got our stories on that. So we'd love to hear them. You can communicate with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the wellness women or on our website thewellnesswomen.com.au and don't forget to hit the like button join our Facebook page so you get updates and the information we're talking about here you're going to get the links and the leads so you know how to get that information easily and quickly thank you so much to the ladies who have been contacting us it's been fascinating coming from all over Australia we're getting information saying you know where's a holistic GP who's the best naturopath in my area Thank you, because we've got good networks. We can source someone out for you. If we don't know them directly, we'll do our very best to find you someone that's uh, worthwhile for you to go to visit and, and have a chat to. And not just in Australia. I'd love to give a shout out to our listeners in New Zealand, the oh, US, yeah. Canada, the UK. Um, you know, we love it that we're on all the major continents. So that is awesome. And to my girlfriends in the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys. And thank you for tuning in each week. We really look forward to chatting to you again next week. Be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.